I want to begin with an announcement, which is that our guest preacher, Anthony English, who um, was the, is the uh, assistant director of MTW, which is Mission to the World, which is our uh, missions agency, he was supposed to come and preach about God's heart for missions. And we've been in communication all throughout the week. He was really excited to come, um, eager. He was really on board with uh, the vision of what we were trying to do. But then yesterday morning, he called me and he said, Michael, I am so, so sorry. MTW pulled the plug. He says, I pleaded. I did everything I could to work around the rules. Um, I was willing to defy the order. And um, I said, that is OK. Um, it's okay, please don't feel bad. And so we made an arrangement and a promise that we would um, do it again, make an arrangement another time. Um, and so I hung up the phone. <clears throat> By the way, I have this persistent cough that I've had for over six weeks now. I don't have any other symptoms. I don't have fever or body aches. Um, but, and I've had this before, like my cough will last for like three months, and uh, it's come at a very inappropriate time. <laughs> Everywhere I go, people give me a dirty stare, and I'm sorry. Um, but in any case, so I hung up the phone, right? And I <laughs> cried into the pillow, and I said, what should I do? And so I, I prayed, and as I was praying, you know, I really realized that, although I would not have designed this, it's actually a gift. It's a gift because our church is in a moment of crisis. And I am your pastor. And so what words of encouragement and comfort and instruction can I give to you? And I believe that our church exists for a time such as this. And I believe that scripture speaks to every time and in every situation. And I think that scripture is speaking so powerfully today if we will listen to it. And so we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. For those of you who are at home, I'm sorry it's not the bulletin, but get your Bibles out. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. For those of you who are here, it's the insert printed for you. Excuse me. <coughs> um, it's going to be verses 10 through 20, and I'll read it for you. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. So the title of uh, my sermon is To Be Strong in the Lord. I have four points. Here's my outline. Even though this sermon was written on the fly, there has to be structure. There has to be order, right? So here are my four points. Number one, in this time of crisis, we see an opportunity for the gospel. Number two, we are to pray at all times. Number three, we are to be strong in the Lord. And then finally, number four, we are to love one another. Number one, opportunity for the gospel. Number two, pray at all times. Three, be strong in the Lord. Number four, love one another. So number one, this is an opportunity for the gospel. If you look at the passage, right, if you look at the whole tenor of this passage, the whole emotional feel of this passage, Paul is addressing Christians who are going through severe affliction, severe um, adversity, and look at the language of the passage, right? He says, be strong. He says, hold fast. He says, put on the armor of God. He says, you're wrestling against cosmic powers. And so we see that in this season of intense adversity and hardship, what is foremost in Paul's mind? What is his highest priority? Look with me to verse 19. In verse 19 he says, Pray for me, listen, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What is Paul saying? He's saying, now. This is the best time for the gospel to go out. Listen. There are basically two stories that you can believe about the world. There are two stories. The first story is the story that our world tells us, the modern world. And this story is that this life, this world we live in is all that there is. As John Lennon saying, there's no heaven above, no hell below. And if this physical existence is the only thing there is, then you better grab hold of life for all of its worth because as the saying goes, you only live once. And that story works, but it only works when times are flush. But in the face of suffering, we see how incredibly brittle that philosophy is. Because if the only happiness is the happiness of this life, if the only security is the security that you could have 
in this life, then what happens when the happiness and the security of this life is threatened and is taken away from you? How will you persevere? Where will you find the resilience to go on? There's a second story. And in the second story, the Bible tells us that this world, this physical life, is not all that there is. There is another world. Look at the language of our passage. Paul talks about the schemes of the devil. He talks about cosmic powers. He talks about this great spiritual battle that is raging on underneath and below this world that we can see and touch. Which means there is a meaning in life that transcends this material existence. Do you hear me? It means that death is not the end, but there is another life. There is a greater and bigger life awaiting us. It means that when we sacrifice for our neighbors, it means that even if you should lay down your life for others, you're not losing out. Because the Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Look at what Paul says in verse 20. It's very strange, very strange. In verse 20, Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains. And you want to say to Paul, wait a minute. You're in a Roman prison. Doesn't that make you less effective for the gospel? And Paul here is saying, no. That makes me more effective for the gospel. Because adversity and hardship and danger are opportunities to be a witness for the all-sufficiency of Christ. Because in the darkness of this dying world, the gospel of Christ can shine all the more brightly. And so church, I want you to listen to me. This virus outbreak, which is a great tragedy, and we should not wish for it, but hidden in it is also a gift from our Heavenly Father. It is our opportunity to stand as a witness for Christ. How will you face this season of heightened danger? Will you face it with courage and faith and love? Will you shine for Him? So that's the first point. It's an opportunity for the Gospel. Secondly, we are to pray at all times. If you read this whole passage, Paul gives us many weapons to fight this spiritual battle. And we don't have the time to go through all of them. I just want to focus on one, which is prayer. Verse 18, Paul says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now listen to me. Prayer seems like the most counterintuitive thing to do in an emergency situation. Because in a time of crisis, you want to spring into action. You want to get things done. 
you want to accomplish all the necessary tasks. In fact, there is not enough time to do everything that you need to do. But prayer is the steadied, intentional practice of stillness and quietness before God. It is a posture of seeking and humility. It is fundamentally saying, God, this is beyond me. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need grace. Some of you might be saying, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray in such a situation. Look at what Paul says. He says we have to pray in the Spirit. We've been doing a sermon series in a farewell discourse, and so behind those words, in the Spirit, is an, an enormous, rich theology, multiple layers. But let me just pull out one strand. In Romans 8.26, listen to this. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And so what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It doesn't mean that you have to go to God with this polished, eloquent, theologically accurate prayer. But we are to go to our Heavenly Father like a little child. You know, when my boys, and they come to me, they say, you know, they don't first write down a carefully edited three-paragraph essay in which everything is, you know, clean and polished. They just say, Daddy, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm afraid. And they don't edit, they don't clean up their emotions. And I want you to know, when they do that, when they come to me like that, it pleases me. It honors me. Because it means they trust me. It means that they love me. And they think I could help them. So we have to go to the Father like that. Notice also Paul says that we are to pray at all times. Paul doesn't say you should only pray when you're in trouble. You should only pray when things have gotten really bad. He says we are to pray in all times, in all circumstances. In 1 Thessalonians, without ceasing. So why would Paul say that? He's saying that because in reality, you always need God. You're always vulnerable. And what the troubles of your life do is they expose the reality that you should always be praying. It's like, imagine you have a house, and there's a mound of dirt on the side of your house. It looks innocuous. It's always been there. And then one day, the severe rainstorm comes, and it washes away parts of the mound. And then the next morning, you, you go out and you look at it, and you discover there's this enormous termite colony that has been living in that mound, eating away at your house. The termites were always there, but the rainstorm exposed it. We should be praying at all times. So that's the second point. Third point, be strong in the Lord. 
Look with me to verse 10. Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. (coughs) So all throughout scripture, we see this command that in the face of danger, we are to be strong and courageous. So what does it mean to be strong and courageous? Does it mean that we should downplay the risk? Does it mean that we should, you know, sort of minimize the danger that, we, that we're in? And the reason why you seem so brave is because you don't really think that your life is in danger. And the answer is no. That's not courage. Because then courage would come from the bottom of a bottle. Then courage would just be closing your eyes. But in the Bible, courage is opening your eyes and seeing the danger. And I want you to know that this virus outbreak is a severe public health threat to our lives. And so courage is opening your eyes. It's seeing the danger, but it is knowing that the Lord is with you. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. I want you to understand, I'm not talking about being reckless and just blithely going on with your life and going to you know, big social events, licking your fingers and then touching everyone. That's not courage. That's foolish. I am talking about continuing to live your life. I'm talking about carrying out your responsibilities and not dropping them. I'm talking about taking care of the people that you love. I'm talking about vigilance, maintaining vigilance but not giving into panic. So how do we live our lives now with courage? Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 4? Jesus and the disciples, they're in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And then this incredible, savage storm hits them. And the disciples wake Jesus up and they say, Don't you care that we're going to die? And then Jesus calms the storm and then he turns and he rebukes the disciples, not because they were wrong about the storm. They were professional fishermen. This was a once-in-a-generation storm. They were right about the storm, but he rebukes them because they forgot that he was in the boat with them. And so courage is knowing that Jesus is in the boat with you. You are safe in his hands. To live is Christ. To die, even to die, is gain. Last point. We are to love one another. Look with me to verse 18, the second half. Paul writes, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Listen to this making supplication for all the saints. He wants his congregation, he wants the the Ephesian Christians to think about all the saints. The natural instinct in a time of danger and crisis is to pull into yourself, to be selfish, to protect yourself. David Brooks, who is one of my favorite writers, he had this really interesting column in the New York Times this week And he says that when you look at the history of 
plagues and outbreaks of disease, it's a very discouraging story. He says the pattern that you see is that people will put their private safety ahead of compassion for others. And he was looking specifically, specifically at the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And he says that healthcare workers would plead to the public for volunteers to help them take care of the sick because hospitals were overwhelmed, healthcare workers were overwhelmed. And the record shows that very few people stepped forward to help. He says all across cities in America, there were families where parents, both parents would fall sick, and then the children would be left to fend for themselves, starving, and their neighbors would shun them and would not help them. And already we're beginning to see some of this. Uh, even though we're at the very beginnings of this pandemic, people are hoarding, people are fighting over toilet paper. And David Brooks says that if this current pandemic gets anywhere close to the Spanish flu in 1918, he says, if history is any guide, we will see the worst of humanity. We will see the ugly, selfish nature of human beings. And so what should we do? The Bible commands us to love one another. Do you remember in John uh, 13, 35, we talked about this. Jesus says, this is how people will know that you are my disciples. This is your calling card. This is your identity. This is how people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so how do we love one another? How do we show love to our neighbors during this virus outbreak when human contact is severely limited and rightly so? Because so much of love is being together. So much of love is touching one another and visiting one another. And so how do we love each other during social distancing? Here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. We're all learning as we go along. But let me provide three broad guidelines. Three, number one, love is patient and kind. During the virus outbreak, everyone's stress levels are going to go up. People are going to say and do regrettable things. Let us extend each other grace and forgiveness. Let us be quick to reconcile, quick to encourage and affirm one another. The second thing, so love is patient and kind. Secondly, love is holding on to the unity of our church. These are unprecedented times. I don't know about you, this is my first pandemic. And I am not sure what is the right course of action. I don't know, truly. All this past week and the week before that, the staff, the elders and I, We've all been in deep conversation. I cannot, describe, I cannot express to you hours upon hours of discussion. What should we do? Should we meet? Should we not meet? Should we carry on as usual, status quo? Should we shut everything down, cancel service, go 
purely virtual. And what we basically decided was something in the middle. We decided to have a much reduced, limited service. And we expect and we applaud that many of our congregation, most of our congregation, will stay home. And to those of you who are staying home, I want you to know what you are doing is good. It's right. It is loving and faithful. And for those of you who decided to come, I want you to know that we also support you. And that what you are doing is good and right, loving and faithful. Did we make the right decision? I don't know. Maybe we are mistaken. But let's hold on to each other. Let's cover each other with love. Let us let this virus outbreak and this crisis be a moment of togetherness and solidarity in our church. Even as we have different opinions and not a moment of division and crisis. Last point. Um, love is care for, to the weak and the vulnerable. This virus outbreak, like all disasters, will disproportionately affect the poor and the vulnerable. I have no doubt that people will lose their jobs. There will be financial loss. There will be people who are on the margins who will lose their margins. And so what can we do as a church? There have already been uh, preliminary discussions in Mercy Ministry about partnering with and supporting the Alameda Food Bank, and we're still trying to figure this out. Everything is happening day by day, so please stay tuned. There are people in our congregation who may get sick, who may get severely sick, and who may die. How can we comfort them? How can we support them and pour out love to them? This is our opportunity to practice love. Not just in words, but in deeds and actions. Almighty God showed us love. He didn't just send us a love letter. He didn't just say, I love you. But he demonstrated his love. He sent his only begotten son. And while we are still sinners, while we did not cry out for mercy, but instead we rejected him and we ran away from him, he sent his son to die on the cross, to take our place, to suffer the punishment that we should have that we should have endured and to live a life, this perfect uh, record of righteousness that should have been ours, to give to us, to show us love so that we should not perish. But everyone who believes in him should have eternal life. That's the gospel. The gospel is the love of God in action, in deeds. How can we reenact the gospel and live out the gospel in our lives. It is going to be a great challenge because it is right and good to maintain distances from one another. May God help us to rise to this occasion. Please join me in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we find ourselves walking along a path. And this path is winding through a forest. And there have been many times when it comes out into a meadow, into a clearing, and the sun is shining, and all seems right, and the way forward seems clear. But right now, the path that we're in, it's going down into a valley, and it's dark, and it's windy, and we can't see the way ahead. And maybe we wonder, are we lost? Maybe we wonder, have, we, have you abandoned us? But, O oh Lord, strengthen us with your strength. Remind us that we are exactly in the middle of the story that you have always written for us. Even before the beginning of time, this was the story that you wanted for us. How shall we respond? Shall we respond with fear, with recrimination, with selfishness? Lord, may it never be. Help us in this moment especially to gird ourselves with the gospel, to pray at all times, to show each other love, to show our neighbors love, to stand boldly for the gospel, to see doors opening everywhere we go. People want to know, is this life all that there is? Is there another story? Is there something deeper? Help us to be bold for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.